Diversity, it might be what's holding your team back and you may not know it yet and may not know how to solve it. For that reason, I'm really excited to tell you that Data Futurology has established a partnership with She Loves Data and we're doing a series dedicated on improving diversity in your organization, in your teams, in your workplace, so you can get the most value out of your teams, out of your data and create products that the market really wants. Tune in every week as we speak with executives and female leaders from all over the world on how they have targeted and improved the diversity on their teams. And you can find out what we can learn from them. We are thrilled as a She Loves Data to be part of the Tough Futurology podcast, where we will showcase some female leaders, but the leaders from tech industry. And we will be talking about strategies, about data, about biases, and about diversity. Join us. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsors. One of our sponsors is Shine Solutions Group. Shine Solution Group is a technology consultancy that has been empowering their enterprise and government partners with pragmatic technology solutions for over 20 years. Learn more at shinesolutions.com. Also a big thank you to SAS, giving you the power to know. Through innovative software and services, SAS empowers and inspires data advocates around the world to transform data into intelligence. Committed to diversity, did you know about the Women in Analytics Network that they have? It's a SaaS-sponsored networking program aimed to strengthen diversity in the analytics field. Check it out in the show notes below. They're definitely committed to it as they're helping us with this diversity series too. I also would like to tell you about Growing Data. Growing Data is a consultancy that helps organizations unlock the full potential of their data. They work with some of Australia's most successful organizations from finance. They work with people like ANZ Bank, through to biotechnology companies like CSL, and all the way to construction, working with companies like Metricon. They help these and many more companies solve their most challenging data-related problems in analytics, machine learning, data engineering, and data governance. While I was at ANZ Bank, I got the pleasure to work with the team at Growing Data, and I can tell you for a fact, they are top-notch. I highly recommend Growing Data. Find out more at growingdata.com.au. Also, a big thank you to Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi, I'm Felipe Flores. Welcome to another episode of Data Futurology in during our diversity series that we're doing in partnership with She Loves Data. Uh, from She Loves Data, we have the co-founder and he's also the chief marketing officer at Mayro. He's Pavel Bolowski. Pavel, thanks for being with us today. How are you going? Hi guys, it's exciting. Again, early morning for me uh, here in Europe, but uh, it's lovely to connect with everyone virtually on the other side of the world today. So super excited to be here. Right. Thank you so much for making the time. And today we have two lovely guests from very coming to us from very interesting locations. Uh, we have Virginia Weiwei. She is the Vice President of Data Analytics at Koala. And we have Jen Shepard, who 
is the Chief Data Officer at Tertiary Education Commission in New Zealand. How are you both doing? Hi, yeah, yeah, absolutely great and, and really looking forward to this, this conversation. Thank you. And super from here, we're about to head into a long weekend and it's Friday afternoon, so doubly super uh, in New South Wales, in Australia. <laughs> doubly excited. So uh, first tell us where exactly are you both? Maybe Virginia, uh, you can tell us first about where you are and then I'll ask you the same, Jim. Sure. Um, so I'm actually in the Hunter Valley. We have a, we're very lucky to have a bush property, 160 acres in the Hunter. Actually, interesting, you might see behind me the bushfires came through here last December. So that was a pretty intense time. But in good news, you can see all the green regenerating from there. Mm. So I'm here and I'm, I'm lucky enough to work for a company that lets me work from wherever I want to. And so this week I've chosen to come up here and um, hang out in the bush. Amazing. It looks beautiful. How are you, Jan? Well, I'm actually uh, away from the office at the moment. I'm in Stewart Island, which is a small island at the, the bottom of, of New Zealand. So I was going to be sitting outside to do this, this podcast, but the bird life is just so noisy. I've had to come inside. Yeah, fantastic. And um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the, the race that you've got coming up? Oh, yeah. So it's, it's pretty exciting. I've come down here to do a race tomorrow. So it's a 32 kilometer uh, trail run around um, a quite a scenic part of Stewart Island. So yeah, really looking forward to that. It was um, glad we had this weekend, not last weekend when it was snowing, but that would have been quite interesting. So yeah. yeah. I'm so impressed. No, very, very well done. And Pavel, where, whereabouts in, in Europe are you? Tell us a little bit. I am in uh, Czech Republic, in Prague. It's a uh, for as our company is based between uh, between here and uh, Singapore. We've got the entire tech team here, so I have retreated from Jakarta just as the lockdown was coming down. In because I was based in I'm globally based in Indonesia, uh, which is our one of our offices, and I've, I've made a way out just before uh, the lockdown in March. I've been here six months, and I think uh, it's been a big change because uh, not only working remotely. I mean. We are basically remote company by by design, but it's also because uh, last year I've been in 2019. I've been on on plane every three and a half days or something like that, and now I've, I've had wow. six months six months without getting on, on on plane, which is which is refreshing actually. So it's a bit luxurious. Different year, yeah. Yeah, in comparison, wow, what a, what a schedule, mate. Um, so I, I wanted to kick things off by, by asking, uh, asking our guests to tell us a little bit about their, the background, origin stories, and, um, and how they got to where you are today. Jan, I might start with you. Um, tell, us, tell us a little bit about how you got into uh, the world of data and a little bit about your, your background. Excellent. So my, my journey into data started um, in 1999 where it was Y2K times and, and it was kind of by accident and, and it's, it's quite intriguing actually. Uh, started out, I was contracting at the time and got offered a role as a, a tester and I thought well that would be quite interesting, know nothing about that. So I went along for the interview and got asked one question, do you know what a relational database is? And I said yes. And got the job and then got really hooked. I got really hooked. So I was testing the system and then I was got intrigued by how data flowed through the system and what happened to it along the way and 
yeah, the the rest is is history. But yeah, now currently chief data officer at the Tertiary Education Commission, like you said, and to be honest, that's my dream job. So, so it's it was destiny, I think. And why is it your dream job? Uh, who doesn't love data? <laughs> <laughs> you get to change the world. You get to create new new worlds through through data. I. I did a marketing degree back when I was doing studying because it, it just fascinated me that you could give people new information and they'd make different decisions. And that's exactly what I do with data every day. You know, you, you give people data or information and, and they can make better decisions and the world can be a better place. So yeah, living the dream. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and how about you, Virginia? Tell us about your your background and how you got to where you are. Sure. So I'm maybe 10 years before Jan. So out of high school, I did a mathematics and statistics cadetship um, at BHP nice. Company, um, which at the time was pretty uncool thing to be doing. And so it's interesting now that, you know, in my early 20s, I was doing probably the most uncool degree of studying at university. And now I think we all know this is probably the coolest degree, the one of the yep. hottest degrees you could do at university. So um, I actually always wanted to be a vet and then got this cadetship, but a bit, a bit like Jan totally fell in love with um, the world of data and possibilities and modeling and maths. So, um, um, yeah, I was unfortunately laid off from my job. And so then I chose to go and do a PhD. So I took my redundancy money, did a nice. PhD in machine learning, um, which again, in the 90s, probably, you know, wasn't such a hot wow. thing, but it's become in very handy, this PhD. I uh, worked at Boeing for a lot of years, had a great time. And maybe we can talk later some of the cool things that I worked on there. And then I've sort of worked as a lecturer, um, gosh, in big companies like BHP, Tease, um, more recently at Simic, and now I've got a super cool job. So I work for Koala, which for those who don't know, it's a furniture startup in Australia, and it's a purely e-commerce brand um, and very big on using um, information, customer journeys um, to inform their better decisions. And they're growing very rapidly. So it's, it's, I've only been there three weeks, and it's super fun. Oh, great, great. Well, they definitely have a, a fantastic brand and uh, really great products. And I remember a few years seeing an ad during the Australian Open, they had an ad with Serena Williams. And I was like, that is great. Um, so no, really, really nice. So ladies, and maybe let's start, let's start with, uh, with Virginia. Um, last six months has been something we haven't lived through before. Uh, obviously, very different time in business in, from work from home perspective, uh, downturn in the markets. What, uh, in both of you ladies being a business leaders um, in, in data analytics space, what, what have you seen as a, as a changes in, in our market in terms of, in terms of um, hiring, uh, in terms of a labor market, generally uh, skills that are coming up? Is there anything that you, you see sort of a, any, any proliferating trends that, that have been kind of obvious throughout the, uh, the COVID pandemic? So, uh, so I'll jump in first. Uh, so I think it was a trend that I think was happening pre-COVID, but has possibly accelerated. Um, when in, in earlier years in this space, a lot of people were wanting the best machine learning, modeling, AI people, and they would hire their teams with those people to start with. But, but then 
these people would get into the organization and then things like the data engineering and even some of the fundamental business intelligence visualization fundamental reporting wasn't in place so sometimes they were they were hiring certain people when their team needed different people so i see that as a trend that particularly um, the data engineering position and the data visualization positions probably didn't exist a couple of years ago and now they're often the leaders on the job board and then i would say the way that COVID has then accelerated that is that companies organizations have to have had to make some pretty quick decisions under a lot of pressure and to do that they need some um, very quick turnaround on reporting visualization charts so again i've had in a company I was at before the machine learning people have been almost repurposed to, to design dashboards uh, and that sort of thing and so then I'm again noticing in the market there's a lot more um, viz and engineering roles um, even more so in COVID. So, so that, that's 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 an interesting uh, interesting point on, on repurposing the people who would be kind of specializing in data science and machine learning, like you said. And I've kind of honestly I've seen that especially in the smaller companies before uh, across the board, where people are brought in for fancy, you know, ML AI advanced analytics roles, and then end up doing reporting for the company. Uh, so I'm curious, like, how is the, how is that experience for? For the for the team, what have you seen with your with your colleagues? How how do they do they adapt to that easily? Is that is that sort of a natural change, or is it just sort of demanded by the time that we are in? Yeah, so and I think we'll we'll probably cover that lately about building a team. But um, I I'm, I find it very important to build a team on um, culture and personality and and willingness. Yeah, willingness to um, to be adapt, you know, adaptable. Um, sorry, the fly. And so the sorts of people I hire um, are obviously very good at what they do, very clever, but they're also not so rigid that they will only do one thing. So I think I covered some of that bases when I hire people. Um, you know, and there probably is a place for people that only want to model and that's all they do. Great. But when I build teams, I try and build um, diverse in terms of the skills as well, not just the, the pure um, ML AI skill. And I think it worked well in the team I had because they'd done some really cool stuff in the machine learning space. So they'd, they'd had a taste of what they really love doing um, and they loved the company and they could see the reason that they were um, being sort of repurposed and, and it, it was fine. And they learned as well at the same time, they learned some new skills as well. Very cool. Uh, Jen, how's that, how's that been for you, especially coming from a different uh, sort of different, different sort of uh, background industry really? Uh, how, how's the last six months impacted in, in the, the market you are seeing? But certainly echo what, what's um, or already been covered off, but I'd, I'd just add, that like the real skills that are shining through that people need are flexibility and adaptability because COVID has made us pivot in, in many ways. And it's the where we're needing people who are adaptable and also understand the business. So certainly there was a lot of hype around data scientists before and everybody labeled themselves as a data scientist mm. and someone who wanted to be more a purist in, in playing with data but now there's the because the world's changed, we've really got to get back to our basics to understand what's going on in the world. So it's people with business skills, with understanding their environment, being able to not just speak machine language, but also speak human language are, are the skills that are really in demand for us at the moment. 
Yeah, could not could not agree more. Being able to um, to speak to speak to people, being able to influence, work closely with with stakeholders and customers. I think it's one of the one of the areas that is. Um, of greater and greater importance for for data scientists, and when you add the the domain knowledge, um, obviously adding it to the people skills and the technical skills. But when you add the domain knowledge, you get um, so much more benefit out of uh, and and people individuals can contribute at a, at a much um, bigger pace and bigger scale. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely um, true. And I've also even seen it for. Uh, and the expectation that organizations have of, of, of consultants now is, is kind of changing. As more companies develop their own data science teams, uh, they're taking on, obviously, a lot, of, a lot of the work that in the past might have been outsourced. Um, and now it seems like um, consultants are now being used for more for either deeply technical things or um, areas where they have specific domain knowledge that they can that they can. Um, contribute to the organization. So no, really, really interesting. Um, yeah, so I could just add to that quickly. So yeah, of course. A couple of points, um, adding on to Jan's point um, with the adaptable and flexible, I think it's the ability to draw out what the asker or the question poser is actually asking as well. And I think too, in these times with a lot of stress and companies, you know, say, we just need to know how many things we sold or how many mm -hmm. sites we're running. And so I think a good data skilled person who is pivoting can say, well, why, why are you wanting to know that? Or is that related to that? So it's not just being an order taker, like you can pivot and just be yep. an order taker, but pivoting and actually with the business knowledge, um, asking the right questions at the same time. Yes. Um, yes. And then I did have another point then, but now to other oh, consultants point. Yes. Um, I agree that the sort of data science generalist consultants, it, it's now more, you, you go for a domain specialist, Again, there's, cause there's so many um, data integration products and domain specific data products. It's having a consultant that knows that domain and also a consultant that can write a data strategy and have that helicopter view. Um, but yes. whereas getting someone in to say, we just need to, to merge some data and do some code and charts. I think that's, that's possibly have moved on. Yeah, completely <laughs> agree. The technology's got easy now that we can do a lot of these things ourselves, isn't it? So, mm -hmm. so for the role that consultants used to fill, we can do by ourselves. So now they've got to be adding value in different ways. Ah, I love it. That is so true. Um, so I I wanted to to jump into the the diversity part, and I wanted to maybe start at the um, at the leadership leadership level and. Um, I might I might ask you, Jan, first um, around how how do you ensure that your leadership structures, um, both in data and across the organization, that they are that they are diverse? Um, have you seen any ways working working well in order to to be able to make that difference? Um, and and how how do you approach it and think about it? Yeah, it's it's. It's really important, and I'd just like to start by saying diversity is a very, very broad broad uh, area. So certainly the, the number one rule around um, creating a leadership team that is diverse is making sure you're hiring the right people for the job and being sure what, what it is that you need or want before you go looking. So then you take out all your biases that it might that might come into play when you see that person you've got your criteria set 
because diversity is is comes in all all forms like it's not it's gender it's age it's it's ethnicity background where you were born how many people in your family all of those things create the unique person so yeah just making sure you know what that unique person looks like and recognize the attributes yeah exactly um and what what about you virginia do you have any any thoughts on how to uh, ensure diversity in in leadership. Uh, any any ways that have worked for you, either for your leadership teams or leadership teams that you've been part of. Uh, um, any any thoughts there? Yeah, so I guess if we're talking even about sort of creating our own data related leadership teams, um, mm-hmm. I often um, come in thinking that it's a given that they know about data. So um, perhaps you know in the nineteen nineties when Jan was asked, do you know about a relational database? And sort of do enough screening ahead of time, but it's given that they know that. And so I, I focus a lot of my interviews on who they are as a person. Um, mm. And they're like, don't say how many kids have you got and that sort of thing, but um, just the sorts of places they've worked, um, what they, I often ask, what's the coolest problem you've ever solved? And I think that that really brings out people's true, true nature. And so sometimes those that are, have rehearsed answers don't, don't go as strongly as those really interesting people that have done some cool stuff in cool places and, and that they're really excited about it. Um, and there's also another, I, I follow a, a Harvard professor called Amy Cuddy and she's all about connecting with your people and then leading. So some of the, the things in her early papers um, that I read, I really, really resonate with me about connecting with people. And then through that, you work out the, um, their, their individual diversity uh, and then how to sort of best, yeah, get the best out of that for, for the whole team. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah, and it's interesting. There's actually, um, I think, and apologies if there's other companies that do this, but the ANZ Bank has a neurodiversity program, especially in this space. And so for people who are on the spectrum or other, other neuro differences, who are brilliant and passionate about data and maths in this area, they have a, um, a dedicated program to, um, to bring these people into the business um, and have them as just that another um, dimension of diversity in a team which is super cool. Super interesting. Really, really cool. Um, and Jan, I wanted to ask you about the, the, the hiring process uh, to, in, to, to help build diverse teams. Do you have any, uh, any tips that have worked well? Uh, do you have any, any views on how it can be uh, done, done better? Anything you can share? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of traps in the hiring process and certainly it even starts with things like job, job title and job description mm-hmm. and how you, you advertise the, the roles and certainly like working in the government sector, we're very traditional in, in what we call jobs and how we describe them and our approach to that. And that, that doesn't help us attract the right people. And when I say the right people, it's like whoever the unicorn is that fits the the need that, that we have. So, yeah, we, we do limit ourselves from that respect and it's something that's very, very important that we overcome. So, hence, I end up going to agents to do most of my recruiting because then I can sit down with them and say, well, actually, we are a bit different as a team. We're not what you expect. And then they get to know us and get to know the people that will fit well with within our team. So, yeah, it's, it is a a process that is quite um, fraught 
in a traditional sense and it's a battle it's a battle to appeal to people who would be just brilliant at the job but might have as Virginia said of someone who's thinks a wee bit differently or and certainly appealing to women it takes a different type of description a lot of our job descriptions uh, across the board use quite um, male language very direct and and definite language and so uh, yeah there's a lot of lessons to take out of this but certainly how we advertise ourselves and how we build our relationships so at the moment we rely quite heavily on personal relationships and mm -hmm. the culture that i've built within the team so that people know us as a team and certainly through my leadership is very very important to attract the right people that i have visibility and people understand the type of environment that i offer within my team and that so then that uh, the mm -hmm. attraction of that overweighs the the job description which they might see that's really good i know yes i've seen ads where you have to solve a problem as part of the ad or you know does you know some kind of data or some quirky phrase mean something to you and that will that will often pique um, people who might think a little bit differently is interest, um, who might not want to be a senior data scientist for X, but they go, hey, that's a cool problem. I wouldn't mind solving that. So I've seen some more creative ways of jobs being advertised. And then again, to Jan's point, um, with this industry being so popular, there are, there are certain, um, there's a certain thinking that I want to be a data scientist, then a senior data scientist, and then, I don't know, a data science manager or a principal data scientist or chief. And so people are looking for the title. And I think if, if they're looking just for the title, they're in it for the wrong reason as well. So I think that's, um, that's something to be careful of, that we sometimes don't fall into that traditional, really hierarchical um, recognition that um yeah it's it's about the the things you do and the team a big part as jan said is the team of fellow passionate data people that you get to be part of yeah definitely definitely the community aspect is, is, is super important that's actually one of the reasons why one of the kind of aspects that i recognize with the she loves data where the work we are doing in terms of building like a local uh local communities is, is, is super important because that's honestly uh, one of the biggest barriers I have seen. Uh, it's when you go to uh, five years ago, when you went to any data science or really data engineering meetup or uh, data visualization less so, uh, event you will see that 95% of the attendees are guys and then uh, women are simply intimidated to join uh, you know, all male club and there's a reason why you uh, you are in leadership positions because you were called to do certain, you know, pivot and leap of faith at some point. And this is not something that we generally see across the population. This is really the outliers who, who do that, right? So I'm, I'm kind of curious and, um, you know, diversity obviously it's been it's been a big topic and it's been on the corporate banners for a very long time right now and uh there's a there are very uh, sort of an easy and direct path to that where you are going to say to recruiters say i'm only i'm only um, accepting certain mix of uh, resumes when you are when you are uh, you know filling this role for me and that's kind of the most obvious way how to do that but i'm curious if you also have been either uh, personally experienced designed or seen elsewhere um, 
any other interesting ways how to foster diversity, especially uh, especially more from the in-house perspective? How do you how do you look at uh, how do you look at it within the broader team, within the broader business or organization, um, where you really encourage that? Is I'm I'm kind of looking at it from perspective where what we what I I personally really like is I like I like people who do. Uh, several career pivots uh, during their time. I think that's that's starting from zero is eventually you are going to end, end up with, you know, three times 80% is more than one time 95%. So uh, I, I really encourage that. And I, I like when people have the ambition uh, to join a completely different department and start somewhere, somewhere else where that synthesis of that experience is going to be very powerful a couple of years down the line. So I'm curious if you've seen any um, any initiatives like that within within the businesses that would work or that had some success stories where you've seen you know people under your leadership have grown into uh, into roles that would be unexpected a few years uh, a few years before. Uh, absolutely, um, that that defines my team. To be honest, so I, uh, my team when I first took them over, well actually I took over two teams and they. They were the information management team and the data warehouse team, and they didn't know each other's names between the the teams. So, are two core functions and didn't work work together. So, mashed it together as a startup. So, I had twenty one direct reports and completely changed changed the way I'm working. With taking that approach, the people changed. They became amazing. Like they they realised their inner potential. They were being constrained by the environment they were operating in, and just absolutely grew into phenomenal people. So, with all the skills that were latent within them, so giving people the opportunity, certainly others within the organisation, is a great great way to foster and nurture new talent that can grow into this data space. And data people can come from anywhere, you're right. So looking for people when they apply for roles from the outside, it's as Virginia touched on, you have to look for what the whole person is, not just have they been a data scientist before. It's looking at what, where they've worked, what they've done, but also what do they do outside work? So what are people's interests? Have they changed career three times? That shows flexibility and agility, which are two key skills that we touched on earlier, are essential. You know, if someone had just been in one career path all there to date, they're not right for this environment. They're not right for an environment where the rate of change is just that high. And COVID's accentuated it, but it's all, it is high in the data world. So, yeah, you do need to look for the, the whole person. And why, Jan, why, why was, uh, why did you choose to have all 21 people as direct reports uh, to you? How, how was that decision made? And, and um, yeah, if you can elaborate on, on the benefits that came as a, as a result, but that would have been a tough decision to make to, to choose to have 21 direct reports. It, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> Uh, and and yeah, in a government agency, it was um, <laughs> unprecedented. But at the time, we were we were broken, and things weren't getting better, and there was no other way to make them better. So I I proposed this this restructure to create the startup type structure, so we could break all our habits. And 
there was incredible resistance to it. So mm. from an HR perspective, the textbook says you have between five and eight direct reports. So they were very, very against it. The senior leadership team were very against it as well. And so I put the question to them, well, tell me another way to go on the journey that I'm telling you I need to go on. And they didn't mm. have, have an answer to that. So then they... Uh, put a lot of faith in me, I'll say it like that, rather than thought, well, we'll let her have a go and if she crashes and burns, okay, we're no worse off. I'm, I'm not sure which way the, their decision went, but they, they did open the door and certainly went through it and, yeah, we haven't looked back. Well, the structure's changed since, but that was what got, was the catalyst to get us started. It was certainly interesting and times. For sure, for sure. So you were you were hoping that the that the team would kind of like reset, um, or what? What I guess I should ask. What were some of the things that you were hoping as a result of that that um, strong change in in the in the um, org structure? And, and and also tell us about a little bit of what it looks like now. So definitely hoping the team would would reset. I, I figured I had nothing to lose because it couldn't be more broken. I also gave myself half a day uh, if on the first day if I hadn't got their trust and confidence in the vision for the future, it was all over. So gave it, gave it my best shot, got them all in a room, gave them a bit of a, a speech from the, the throne to motivate, inspire, tell them what the future looked like, then asked them if they were on that journey or not. There was silence for a few seconds and then the the person with the strongest personality in the group asked me a question and I thought, here goes. And the, yeah. it, was a, it was a very reasonable question and I answered it and they said, okay. And that was it. It just happened. Oh. And, and what does the org structure look like now? So, yeah, the, the 21 direct reports was not a, a scalable um, structure but it certainly did what it needed to do and my team's now over double that so now it's it's teams centered around um, focused on centers of excellence so around each function like business intelligence data warehousing of a web web team and their data team testing team well that's merging in with the, the development team now one that has the BAs and runs an agile practice and most excitingly I have an innovation team so that's that's the secret source for making the the big change and certainly something I introduced with the startup mentality was using the concept of imagineering imagine the future and engineer your way back as to how we're going to achieve it so we can make step changes not just incremental changes and that's that's how we We've been very, very effective in getting the organisation to go on the journey it's gone on because they love the vision of the future. So that's that's been very good. And being able to sell them on the world could be a better place if you just go on this journey with us and we can help you. So, yeah, it's it's been really cool. Wow, that's amazing. What a, what a journey. Um, and... Um, that, that's incredible, actually. Um, and uh, Virginia, I also I wanted to ask you um, about how or what type of leadership 
diverse teams need and whether there's there's differences in in what um, uh, in in what diverse teams require in the way that they're managed that they're led um, and and what are some of the benefits that you've seen from from building diverse teams uh, throughout your your career so I think um, the leader themselves has to be diverse and by that I don't mean they have to meet a female quota or a um, you know, a certain in, um, like ethnicity quota and whatnot, but diverse as in they've lived a life, they've, um, they've, they've worked in, in different sectors, they've done, you know, and even they've worked on tiny projects to big projects, they've, um, they've pivoted themselves, um, and that they're, they're a, um, a multi-multi-dimensional person. I think that that has to be, that is necessary. Um, because I think in that way, then they, they can understand from many perspectives where their diverse team is coming from. So not to say that they've lived everything at their team, but they've seen enough to know that there is um, such diversity and it can be successful. So I've unfortunately worked in a diverse team with a very controlling and micromanaging um, person and it was an absolute disaster. So yes, this person was very knowledgeable and very technical, but they... Um, they had to control everything and it was an absolute disaster. So that, that was pretty tough. Um, yeah, that's probably what I would just say that the leader themselves, and I think the leader um, it has to be open and, and to listen to different points of view and, um, and really um, to Jan's quote having 21 direct reports. So, so I've, I've, I've not done that by design, but when I've been building teams and some of the, the, the leadership positions hadn't been filled, I had probably about the same direct reports, which at the time you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to die. But it was actually a massive opportunity to get to know people really one-on-one -on -one, that perhaps, you know, through hierarchy, you might not have, um, yeah, you might not have gotten to know them as human beings. So that, that um, by accident, um, Paid, led a really, really good foundation because I think in the end I had a team of 60. And so 20 of those, um, you know, they still sometimes call themselves a dream team that were, we were all there at the start setting this thing up. Um, some of them turned out not to be my direct reports, but I got to know them as humans. And then they, um, they, were, they were on the bus, so to speak. Really great, and um, uh, towards uh, you, you brought up quotas actually around um, gender, uh, gender diversity, and ethnicity diversity. Uh, what what are your views on on quotas, Virginia? I'm really really curious. Um, I'm just going to go out there. I don't agree with them. So. Uh huh. Yeah. I, um, why, why why is that? Yeah. Um. So I I mean I'll, I'll talk to the gender diversity. I'll use that because I am you know, gender diverse. So for someone who, so it, it can build resentment. So, um, mm -hmm. so, so for people who um, don't get a job, if they, they might not get a job because of merit, but then they can think it's because of the quota. Um, yep. And then people like myself that have perhaps, you know, gotten some great jobs going, is it just because I'm a female and I'm working mm. in X company with a quota? Am I really deserving of that role? So as uh. a female in a company that had quotas, you question yourself going, am I good? And then if I'm questioning myself, are all my peers or the person who didn't get the job over me questioning themselves? But then, I mean, I caveat that saying, if you have a diverse mindset, then diversity sort of, I feel it just, I sound like a total hippie, but it can come into your world. If you, if you recruit, you, you have job ads, you have ideas of the sorts of roles that people are going to have. The diversity often presents itself. Um, 
and you can, and I find interestingly in this field, there's a lot, I find eth, ethno, is that ethno diversity is actually very easy because it's sort of um, people tend to study and get interested in this sort of stuff from all over the world. So if I use my BHP team, I think we had 25 different nationalities in our team um, at BHP. And that again was not by design, but it was just all these amazing people from all over the world um, came and, and wanted to be part of our team. So one hand, when I say I don't like quotas, I also don't think you should ignore all the aspects of diversity when you're building a team and that's an okay answer. Yeah, no, hundred percent. That's, that's really, really interesting. I, I hadn't thought about how it can undermine the confidence of the, the yeah. person who gets the opportunities as well as affect the, you know, the, the peers and, and people who didn't get the job. That's, that's a really good view. Thank you. Jan's turn. Jan's turn now. Yeah, so there's there's one one more attribute I would I would add to that, and that's bravery. So to be a leader of a diverse team, you've got to be brave and go outside your own comfort zone, because otherwise, the worst thing you can have is a a, a team of clones. Then you get no nowhere, and that's that's a safe option for many people. And that's why it's hard to build and sustain a diverse team. So you have to be able to be prepared to take on something that you don't don't know and certainly um, there's there are a lot of good opportunities as Virginia said about hiring people from different backgrounds so there's there's a lot my team is has quite a, a number of people who weren't even born in New Zealand which is quite ironic given the the role that my organization has of building the skills for New Zealand what I've had to import so many of the people that, that are imports the people that I've, I've got, so we're not even keeping pace with what our own country needs in terms of skill development. But you have to be brave and go go out there. You also have to be um, a, know that there is a limit because there is such a thing as too much diversity in a team and then it doesn't gel as a team. Yeah. When you bring someone new, and, and this comes back to the whole person aspect, they've got about a fit in a way with what you have so they can't have a personality that's just so very very different or at, at one point I went to hire someone who I thought was going to really stretch us in the direction that we needed to go and right at the last minute I changed my mind and didn't hire them because they were just too much of a stretch for us at the time they would have got frustrated. They would have put too much pressure on the rest of the team. And quite ironically, two years later, I hired his wife, who was equally genius, and she was it was the right time for her. So, yeah, bravery and also a touch of realism are, are essential as, to build a, a, and sustain a diverse team. I love that. Yeah, can I just ask actually, Jan, on that bravery point too, is that the, <clears throat> do you think the leader themselves has to be brave to share themselves as well? So for themselves to, to be that diverse human being as well as like almost taking a risk of um, sharing about <clears throat> yourself? Absolutely agree on that. Yeah, if you you've got to walk the walk and, mm. and talk the talk. And I think if we bring this back to like the, the 
gender topic this throughout my career and I'm sure you you've got it as as many if not more examples of the same thing you're at an event with some of your team and people come up and say oh, I love your work and start talking to the guys and then they listen and and um, participate in the conversation and, and then they say I'd like to to know more and they say well meet meet our boss Jan and it's <laughs> <laughs> she, she'll be able to follow up with you yeah so, yeah I, I, a quick story of, of something like that as well. Um, I was just, again, I was at a conference, a, like a modeling conference and, you know, you'd have this, you know, the champagne, the drink and you wander around and meet people and what are you working on? And, and there's one um, guy sort of said, oh, you know, I'm doing this sort of, um, I won't say which domain, but I'm doing this sort of predictive modeling and, um, you know, um, but, but are you any good at maths? I went, I've got a PhD. And then, and then I said to him, I've got a PhD in it, mate. And um, just went and talked to somebody else. And then one of the, the beautiful things was then that I was also in charge of certain grants and chairs and funding and, and this person's name came up and I remembered that, um, are you, are you, uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit complicated, are you any good at maths? It's like, right. Brilliant. Wow. Yeah. wow. One of the lessons there is that this is such a, such a small field and such a small community. I've literally ended up meeting someone I met in Australia and then in Singapore in Dublin uh, through a different business that we work with. So it's a very, very small field. This is something to be always careful about. <laughs> that is, you, you've, brought, you've brought up something that are kind of a, a, a triggered a, a question that I have about education a little bit. So you talked about, um, you know, some of the attributes of a person really, which have kind of less to do with the formal education, flexibility, curiosity, bravery, which Jan brought up, which I think is, is beautiful and important. Uh, not easy to come by, but, uh, but nonetheless very important. But um, when we talk about like leadership, I really like to look at the other side of the table. So it's, it's who we lead, right? And uh, when, you look at, when you look at building teams, designing organizations, um, there's obviously a formal education plays a big role in that. And I think it's, it's undeniable that uh, education is something that has, is probably one of the least innovated areas in the world worldwide in last hundred years, if you look at how our society has developed. So I'm curious in, in what, what do you see in, in that regard? And I'll kind of share a little bit of uh, my experience. I, when, I, when you look at specifically machine learning or uh, data science generally as, as a discipline, um, advanced analytics uh, fields, uh, education, you're typically talking to people who study uh, statistics, math, uh, modeling, and there is, uh, there is, this is purely, purely technical, uh, technical discipline. And what I'm looking at, uh, when I'm looking at programs like that in Singapore, we have people who are really, really good at that at the time they, the, the university churns them out, but they have zero uh, relatability to business and to the world around them, and I, I consider that a bit of a bit of an issue. So, so how how is I'm curious at how do you see that in Australia, New Zealand? Because I think this is going to be regionally different, and I'm, I'm I would love to kind of hear on where do you think uh, this needs to go, where this needs to this needs to develop, and maybe Virginia, if, if you have an opinion on that. Let's start. Uh, I was gonna, I was going to say Jan's in the education profession, so you should start. Do you think? Oh. Oh, you you go and then I'll, I'll follow up. Oh, okay, sure. Um, gosh, so I know when I when I went through university, it was a lot of um, I call it chalk and talk, so proving theorems, that sort of thing. And um, what I'm seeing now, so I'm I'm actually involved in helping some universities in Australia design 
uh, data science qualifications and um, yes, yeah, so a bachelor of data science, masters, graduate certificates. And a lot of that is about um, experiential learning, um, forcing as everyone hates group work, but you know, forcing them to work in groups and on projects, um, coming up with a hypothetical. So perhaps I have some data from where I work and coming up with hypothetical solutions instead of textbook data. So I'm finding that it's much more, and I think too with technology in the, um, in lecture theatres and classrooms, there's a lot of interactive even now, you know, just chatting between groups and, and technology. Um, and I think it, you don't want, you don't want people to be spat out of the education system, but it, it, it is a way of exposing them to the way of working these days. Um, and those who really thrive are the ones that um, work well with others, collaborate, can draw problems out and, um, yeah, and think, think more on their feet as well, I suppose. There is, uh, and there are certainly some quite significant shifts happening within the system. So it doesn't look so different on the outside. You still do a three-year degree, but how you get that degree, and it's, it's the same in, in New Zealand, the, the soft skills that are being developed is really important for particularly people coming out into the field of, of data straight from, from study. In New Zealand, we've got a significant reform in our education system going on. And it's very, very timely, if not a fraction too late. COVID certainly highlighted the need for people to get skills in, a, in shorter bites, people that need to change jobs. And that's what we're, we're seeing in the data space that, that we've been talking about, is people pivoting from one role to the next and using their life experience and their their passion for data, but maybe need a few skills. So across the world, this has been recognised and there's a whole lot of um, great universities have got behind and developed MOOCs, so the massive open online courses that you can study anywhere. That's that's I'm using those to help build some of the skills in my team. So it's just a short chunk of learning that they do online from an overseas university. So. It's how we look at education. There's the, certainly value in the formal education, the, the universities and the politics or TAFEs as, as they are in Australia. But there's a lot of value in the smaller, um, less well-known areas that, that are certainly rising to, to supplement. So it's a quite exciting time. Yeah. I've actually had a lot of um, self-taught people who are, so even now people who are um, done graphic design and journalism, so they can, um, they like telling a story and taking people on a journey with a story. And then they're self-taught in some of the data aspects of that. So they might not have a bachelor of blah on paper, but they're, um, yeah. So again, it's um, not everything has to be formal education. And often if you're self-taught, it shows that you've got that initiative and passion to get into it and learn it yourself. Well, YouTube even is a fantastic yeah. resource. There's, there is nothing you can't learn off YouTube. Mm -hmm. And it's how you apply it is, is where the magic happens. Amazing. I think uh, perhaps uh, uh, that, that could be a podcast on its own and YouTube as a source of information. I think there's a, there's a, it's a, the curation is just the hard part of it, but you're right. There is literally everything, uh, including the, including some of the not necessarily good things. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I, I think uh, uh, it's a, uh, Super, super important point on the on the education and on the degrees. I think the companies like uh, I mean Google announced it 
even a few years ago at this point, that they are dropping the um, education requirements uh, diplomas for uh, most of the roles that, that they have. And I think this is a, that's, that's a, that's a significant, uh, significant sign ahead of the times that are coming. So, so totally, and I do consider that part of the, part of the diversity because not everyone has an opportunity or, or the willingness to go through, uh, through education system. I am definitely a part of that. I've never finished a university and I'm doing pretty okay. So I think, I think that's, that's, uh, that's definitely, definitely, uh, an important piece. Uh, ladies, uh, maybe kind of to wrap up with, a with, a kind of a, the diversity topic and, and to kind of be wrapping up the, the, the talk in, in a bit is how, how, um, how would you, uh, how would you, uh, there's still a lot of organizations, obviously, uh, who are not necessarily uh, stepping into that. And I would say this is the more traditional businesses, uh, with, which have uh, sort of a less of a, less of a dynamic environment. How would you, how would you sell organizations uh, on, on to the, onto the benefits of, of having diversity in the team? What, what would be the, what would be the sort of the talking points that, that, that you would use as a, as a kind of a fostering this in the organizations where this is not native, I would say, uh, initiative. I've, I'll just jump. I actually often just, I, I use a lot of just case studies and anecdotes for people. So rather than having, say, an elevator pitch or a, um, a pre-prepared sort of strategy, I sort of work out what the organization is, you know, even what they do as an organization, what what sort of culture they may have. And an example I use, so again, when, um, when I was at BHP, I hired a medical researcher into my team and she worked wow. out that the, um, so the survival models, it sounds a bit, the survival, morbid, the survival models of people with say um, a cancer or a particular type of cancer, the types of models, are the same models you could apply um, on a truck. So I know a person is not a truck, but just showing the organization mm -hmm you don't need to limit yourself to only hiring people who've worked in heavy engineering industry. And of course, BHP were extremely open to all of that, but that's just one example I've used in an organization to say that um, you never know where these gems are hiding, um, people that you may not have ever considered and look how useful a lung cancer modeler is in, in a, yeah, an engineering mining organization. Wow. So yes, sorry, it's just, it's more anecdotes I use and I, I, I sort of try and quickly go through my filing cabinet in my head of examples where perhaps the diversity that they don't have has worked in another organisation and I can encourage them to just plant the seed. Yes, that's a, a totally the, the most sensible approach. I think uh, motivating with the real life case studies is always always the best the best approach, I think. And uh, it's really, you know, it's, it's fantastic. And I mean, I really like this conversation. I'm fortunate to have relatively global exposure and I work everywhere virtually from New Zealand to, to Europe and uh, seeing uh, seeing different answers on the questions, some of the questions we covered today is, is, a, is a very, very, very different. And I would say it's it's kind of obvious to me that, that Australia, New Zealand is uh, um, out innovating the space in terms of what I'm seeing the initiatives uh, diversity, especially in uh, in the Southeast Asia, it's just it's just come much more natural. And I think it's also the the uh, we talked before about the ethno diversity, and I, th I think this is this is something that's that's so much more natural to to countries like uh, you know 
Australia or, or New Zealand because I see that in I see that in Europe. Like for me, uh, being based out of uh, Prague is last six months has been somewhat shocking in how uniform everything is. Like everybody looks like me, everybody thinks like me, and we just don't have the diversity. And I think it's it's hurting uh, definitely the kind of a global competitiveness of the country and uh, of the product team and of the businesses here as well because they are locked within similar mindset and i think and it's, it's really like last six months is sort of for me personally uh, totally made me reconsider how i think about diversity and i think i think it's a, it's, it's moved and evolved really really uh, way beyond just gender and it's it's been interesting uh, interesting to kind of hear your perspective today so thanks for that as i said jan didn't get to answer the last I would love to hear Jan's if Jan's response to that um, selling diversity to organisations. Yes, same. Yeah, uh, so so my approach is an unashamable approach of talking about the future, selling the future, and then the, the only way that you can deliver that is not be what you are now. So we need to be different. We need to work different. We need to think different, and this is how it happens. And so it. it normalizes diversity by wanting something different to what we have now. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know we, we went a little bit over, over time. Um, just your, your perspectives are, are incredible. It's really helpful. And it's, it's so important um, to help people open up the blind spots that, you know, that we all have. And I know that on the diversity front, I've personally made, I made a lot of mistakes in uh, by, by not having the, the experience and the lessons that, that, you know, that you shared today, like, um, like for example, the language that, that goes onto the, the job ads or, or I've sent self-assessment surveys for people to fill out, um, that have had language that's not uh, completely inclusive. And, and, uh, I could see the, the impact of that on the return rates of, of who was filling out the, the survey more more than others and uh, I just I just can't thank you enough for everything that you've shared and uh, about your your journey your experience your insights on how to make more diverse teams um, how to be a great, great leader to those teams and how to get the the best out of out of each individual person in a way that's best for them and for your relationship with them so thank you thank you so much uh, Jan, Virginia, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Pavel, always great to do uh, another episode with you. I uh, can't thank you enough. So thank you. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time and for sharing uh, your journey with us. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. It was it was awesome to be able to have this conversation and hope it's hope it's of value to those who listen to it. <laughs>